Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We want to continue our mini-series here on Detroit Today, Reckoning 375, which is taking a closer look at the plans to remove I-375, this short highway spur on the east side of downtown Detroit, and replace it with a six-lane road. From the start, we have pointed out that these plans, at least as they're rendered now, don't weigh or even much consider the destruction that I-375 and the neighborhoods around it meant for two significant majority black neighborhoods, Paradise Valley and Black Bottom. The question is, what should we be doing to reconcile with the families and institutions and businesses that lost so much when those neighborhoods were destroyed? And if this project to get rid of the highway isn't the right time to be asking and answering those questions, well, it's worth wondering what would be the right time. About a year ago, U.S. Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg told Bridge Detroit that removing I-375 will be a, quote, reparative process. The city of Detroit has also said the project needs to be reparative, and the Michigan Department of Transportation's Jonathan Laurie told Detroit Today that in the process of removing the highway, they hope to, quote, honor the history of the neighborhoods of Paradise Valley and Black Bottom. But what does that actually mean? Which voices are included in the project's goals? And which voices get prioritized in the decision-making, who gets to decide what reparations, if that's the goal, would look like in this context? In this episode of Reckoning 375, we want to hear from some of the actual stakeholders in the process, people who will be affected by the removal of I-375 and who hope to benefit from what comes next. A little later in the show, we're going to speak with three members of the state's Community Advisory Committee for the I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project to explore some of those questions. But before we get to that, we want to provide some context for the different stakeholders that are circling around the project. To talk about that, we've got Ken Coleman here. He is a writer for Michigan Advance and has written extensively about the history of Black Bottom and Paradise Valley. He has also lived in Elmwood Park, which neighbors I-375. Ken, great to have you here. Welcome back to Detroit Today. Good day, Stephen. Great to have. <laughs> great to be back. Yes, it is wonderful to have you here. So, uh, first of all, I, I, I couldn't imagine doing this project that we're doing about I-375 and the historical neighborhoods, the black neighborhoods uh, that were in that area before the highway and uh, the neighborhoods that are there now. Uh, I mean, your work uh, on this subject has has really framed, I think, for a lot of people, the way we understand uh, that area and and what happened. So I want to start here. Sure. When, when you first heard about this project, the I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project. What was your reaction, given all of the things you know about the (laughs) highway's construction, the building of Lafayette Park, all of the things that led to the end of Black Bottom and Paradise Valley? I appreciate the question. Uh, So uh, 
was thinking about this uh, coming into the studio. I, I can go back um, six or seven years um, uh, in understanding that MDOT uh, would be part of a process that would reimagine uh, I-375. As you pointed out, Kim and I, my wife, uh, lived in na- neighboring Elmwood Park, uh, and both um, uh, Lafayette and Elmwood Park are, were, were represented, or continue to be represented by now, uh, State Senator Ch- uh, Stephanie Chang, mm-hmm. um, the Detroit Democrat. She's been holding meetings uh, continually over the years. And when I was looking back over my old emails, uh, some of them go back to 2016 and 2017. So it's been seven or eight years. What was my reaction? Well, a mixed one. Um, as you know, you spent part of your life growing up uh, uh, in that neighborhood, and you know how convenient it is uh, to get anywhere you want to go um, by jumping <laughs> on, on that the, by jumping on that freeway. <laughs> and so, it has been uh, an adult lifetime of convenience for Kim and I, whether when we lived in downtown proper or lived in Elmwood Park more than 22 years of our life. Uh, so, to see it, because at that time it was a question of we didn't know whether or not it was going away. Um, so that convenience was was a sort of a downer, but it was also an opportunity. And as you pointed out, for more than a decade now, I've um, really sort of been um, uh, fascinated and chronicled black life in Detroit. And a lot of it started uh, in the Black Bottom and Paradise Valley er- uh, um, area. And so uh, on the upside, if you will, I thought it would be a good opportunity to to educate people about that community uh, and maybe in some form or fashion, Stephen, reimagining uh, those two lost communities, Black Bottom and Paradise Valley. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about reimagining mm-hmm. those neighborhoods. And, and I guess we have to start with what they were and what they represented. And mm-hmm. I think those are two different things, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> there is an incredible attachment and fondness in the African-American community for the memory of those neighborhoods, uh, and and that comes from what they what they were, what they had to be for Black people mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Um, well, no, it's uh, and that's a great way to really sort of start. You know, the the Great Migration, uh, the movement of African Americans, mainly from the South, from Southern states to uh, Detroit, Michigan, in the nineteen teens and twenties, uh, bring uh, thousands of people a month. Uh, African-Americans a month to Detroit beginning in 1918, 1920, uh, and and through the 20s. Racism carried out by the uh, uh, lending industry, um, the real estate industry, even City Hall, uh, really forced black folk to live in that singular, very dense, uh, one of the city's oldest neighborhoods, and that was Black Bottom and, to some extent, uh, Paradise Valley. And so black folks um, c- begin to come here in the thousands uh, over over a couple of decades, uh, tens of thousands over a couple of decades. And many of them uh, are forced to move in this aging community, um, uh, really didn't have the black bottom moniker at that time or wasn't popularly known. But so that was really uh, the first neighborhood where a lot of black folk um, we're able to, to um, set up uh, a new life uh, in Detroit. And this is a little bit before, you know, black people moved to the old west side or mm-hmm. Conant Gardens on the northeast side or the uh, eight mile Wyoming community. Um, so it is really sort of the, the, the epicenter, if mm-hmm. you will, of black life in Detroit, those two neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were going to reimagine them as part of getting rid of I-375 and as I said in the open, 
I think one of the real questions here is if this isn't the time to to confront what happened to those neighborhoods and try to reimagine them, I don't know what what time that would be, right? right. If you're going to get rid of the highway, it's an invitation and an opportunity to face up to what to what happened yeah. um, and to do something different. But what would that look like? And 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 by that, I don't just mean what would maybe rise in the place of what's there now, but the process to getting there. What should that What should that look like? Well, I think the Michigan Department of Transportation uh, and uh, elected leaders um, have done a pretty decent job. As I said, I lived in that neighborhood for more than a decade, direct neighborhood for more than a decade. And I know that there have been community meetings um, uh, over the years. Now, the question is, who goes to community meetings? Um, is, and is it always representative of, of everybody who lives in the space? You've covered government as a reporter. I've been part of government, covered it as a reporter. You know, you be you uh, a host of a meeting would be lucky to have 25 people <laughs> right. um, come come to a meeting. So they're not they're not always as representative uh, in terms of size mm-hmm. or um, you know the folk who who show up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know whether they're black, white, other people of color, uh, legacy Detroiters, as the term goes now, people who have been there for decades or people that just moved in two or three or four years ago. So on the on, on the one hand, Stephen, I think there's been a good opportunity provided for people that live in the direct neighborhood or people who have a stake in that neighborhood um, might still own property in that neighborhood, just mm-hmm. have an affinity for it because that's where their grandparents grew up or their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that opportunity has been there, but my, you know, my experience is it always hasn't been representative of, of long time Detroiters, legacy Detroiters. And so I think that's what was missed. And so when people began to uh, hear on radio stations like WDET about this project, it was well off and going. Mm-hmm. Now, the second thing is, this is, as you pointed out as your series started, this is being led by the Michigan Department of Transportation, not the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. Right. <laughs> right. You know, right. Not, not, not another, you know, not a, not an agency that's, that's necessarily dedicated solely to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and so because it is a roadway, uh, and it's and they just got a boatload of federal dollars. It's going to be some some um, some portion. I mean, it's going to be a roadway. It's a road project. You, you're, it's a road and project. That's where it begins. And, and it's not going to be a commercial strip, um, you know, of, of black owned businesses or majority black owned businesses. Although um, I, I don't see what's wrong with at least uh, 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 taking a look at both things. I mean, both things can be part of that. It can be that roadway. Um, there's a, at least in the latest rendering that I've seen a significant part of green space there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that green space could be a, you know mixed use, uh, mixed use residential and commercial, and still keep some of the green space. I will tell you in Stephanie Chang's um, uh, reporting out to her community and her surveys, most people want green space, yeah. and they want they want they want um, you know they want access uh, to the Riverwalk, uh, and maybe by extension the Dequinder Cut a little to the east. Um, that's what's really, I, uh, having lived in that neighborhood, and, and, and as you know, Stephen, a marathon runner, uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy that green space. Jackson learned to ride his bike on the DeQuinder Cut, our 15-year-old, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, the, the, you know, 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. So um, it, uh, it's interesting to see 
how this process is being carried out. Uh, I was looking at um, looking at my schedule for this week. Stephanie Chang has a meeting at Chrysler Elementary School tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, to continue conversation with the neighborhood. And so I, I know the dialogue is there. The question is, have some of the people who have talked about um, a reparative process, have they been part of engaged in the process from Jump Street, if you will. So, so when we use that word, uh, reparative mm-hmm. or reparations, mm-hmm. what in your mind should we be thinking about with regard to Paradise Valley and and Black Bottom? What, where would the conversation about a reparative process start for for what happened to those neighborhoods? Well, because this is, is a roads project, it's certainly what we want would want to see. Certainly, as an African American, what I'd want to see um, is African Americans, uh, 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 because it was a super majority African American community when it was raised, and that's why I say you know African Americans um, certainly be part of the process of the building. I mean, I don't know how many roads, you know, super roads companies are majority owned by, you know, by blacks or other people of color. I'm not saying they aren't. I just don't know if they are, mm-hmm. um, but they should be at the table, um, have an opportunity. Um, the, the jobs that, that, you know, it's going to take several years to, to rebuild re, uh, the road. Um, they should obviously be part of that process. Um, uh, and if there is uh, anything other than a road, um, residential, commercial, and the like, uh, you know, the, uh, certainly I think legacy Detroiters who lived in that neighborhood, whether they own property or rent it, um, should have uh, an opportunity to, to, to be uh, at the table, gain some of the contracts, uh, and that would be a great testament to that old neighborhood. Now, the other thing is, uh, I'm old enough to remember 2016 when there was a big news conference held uh, in the old Harmony Park section mm-hmm. of downtown Detroit. Yes. And uh, Mayor Mike Duggan at the time, along with leading African-American business people, uh, deemed old, uh, old uh, Harmony Park the new Paradise Valley. Um, and while I knew that wasn't where Paradise Valley was, and they made that. It's not they, exactly they, they, in the same right, space. Right, right, right. But, but the city owned uh, property there. And I think the Duggan administration said this is a great opportunity to, in some way, reimagine uh, the grandeur uh, or the economic opportunity uh, that African-Americans had in the 30s, 40s, and 50s in Black Bottom and Paradise Valley. Now, that project has gotten off pretty slowly. Mm-hmm. I think with the exception of the Michigan Chronicle, uh, the state's uh, leading African-American uh, weekly newspaper, uh, Rainey Hamilton, who's been there for many years, the architect, mm-hmm. um, many, much of what was promised uh, at that news conference seven years ago haven't, hasn't happened. Uh, and so, you know, I just enter that into the conversation because I've talked to people who've said, you know, uh, nothing's happened for black folk uh, um, uh, in, in response to what happened uh, in the raising of Black Bottom and Paradise Valley. And I have to remind them it's not Probably, exactly true. That's not exactly true. Now, we would like to see more. I think people that look like you and me would like to see more. Um, but I just add that to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Ken Coleman. He is a writer for Michigan Advance and has written about the history of Black Bottom and Paradise Valley. He has also lived in Elmwood Park, which is one of the neighborhoods that neighbors I-375. Uh, we're talking as part of our miniseries here on Detroit Today, Reckoning 375, uh, about the plans to remove I-375 on the east side of downtown Detroit and replace it with a six-lane road. It's, it's is an opportunity to revisit the things that were there 
before I-375 was built, before Lafayette Park, the wonderful neighborhood that's right next to I-375 was built. Uh, there were two historically significant uh, majority black neighborhoods there. Uh, should this process be more attentive to what happened and how we fix some of the things that got broken? Uh, we would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, are you someone who lives near I-375 or were you somebody who did live in that area before the neighborhoods and the freeway were built? Uh, what do you make of the state's project to build a six-lane boulevard where the highway now sits? Uh, what would you like to see See come from the project to remake that area. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can make you part of uh, the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Ken, mm-hmm. I, I've asked a, a number of people this question, and I really am curious about uh, what, what your answer will be. If the if if there were no restraints in terms of uh, money or uh, the availability of land, uh, the, the the kind of practical things that stand in the way, would it be reparative? Would the proper reparation, I suppose, be to recreate Black Bottom to recreate Paradise Valley, almost in the image of what was there? Before is that what we should be holding out as as the ideal in that particular area? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly think it's it's possible. I mean, I, I think that's a you know an imagine that's a reimagining or uh, yeah. um, that can happen. Now, the last I heard, I don't know if ownership has changed hands, but but the twin Lafayette towers are owned by an African American man. They are, uh, 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 and so. I mean, I, I think that what so in that what, way we've what, kind of moved beyond. Yeah, some I, I, of I think so, and, and not only that. Uh, just to piggyback on that, uh, you know, I talked about uh, African Americans really being forced to live in Black Bottom and Paradise Valley in the twenties, mm-hmm. thirties, and forties. Mm-hmm. Now, Black folks live all over the city, and you could make the argument that the Avenue of Fashion on Livernois is what Hastings Street was for black people. Uh, you know, the, the, that's analogous. If you, if you get yeah, in Paradise Valley, if you think about, and I don't know, I haven't done a study of the ownership of the businesses along uh, between seven and eight mile on Livernoy, but just the eye test shows you that there are lots of, of mom and pops, uh, restaurants, bars, um, you know, uh, uh, clothing stores uh, owned or at least managed by African-Americans. So I, I say all that to say, um, the city isn't as restrictive um, from a race standpoint as it was 70 years ago. Right. Uh, and there are lots of black bottoms and paradise valleys uh, <laughs> across uh, across the 139 square miles of Detroit. But um, there's nothing wrong um, with uh, as development opportunities um, come uh, come up in Lafayette Park. Because um, really, the, the the Paradise Valley, that land is really it's Comerica Park and Ford Field. Yeah. It was a very small area, yeah. uh, Paradise Valley was. So I don't know that many people know that an African-American owns the, the Lafayette Towers. Um, the other thing that I've seen happen in that neighborhood is, quite frankly, a level of gentrification. Let's let's be candid. Yeah. Uh, it is becoming wider and wider. Um, and wealthier. All, and, well, and wealthier all the time. 
Uh, and so you've got that going on. Um, we were a, a lot of folks who like to do a research on this history of Detroit, particularly African-Americans. We we're able to work with the Detroit Historical Society to, as you know, there's a, a walking uh, walking tour mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, uh, right behind Chrysler Elementary School um, where people can hear oral histories of men and women who lived uh, in that neighborhood, uh, see how the city was laid out. Uh, two years ago, we were able to uh, have a Michigan historical marker um, that 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 charts the history in short form of Black Bottom. None of that existed three years ago. Mm. So there have been some efforts, Stephen, yeah. um, not only in Black ownership in the area, but a recognition of what was there 70 and 80 and 90 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Ken Coleman, it is always great to have your perspective uh, on these things uh, this, as we get uh, into this, this, this project to, re- to remove I-375. Uh, again, I can't imagine this project that we're doing, taking a look at it without your voice. So I'm really grateful that you could be here with us today. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, sir. Great to see you again. Yes. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about I-375. This time, we're going to take a close look at three of the stakeholders who currently sit on the project's advisory committee. What do they think of the plans to remove I-375 and replace it with a six-lane road? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We've been talking about some of the stakeholders for the I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project, and now we want to talk with some of the people who have a stake in that project. Damian Perry is the principal of Martin Luther King High School. Uh, Principal Perry, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, Also with us is Jennifer Pasha. She is the operations manager for Bailey Park Neighborhood Development Corporation and vice president on the board of the McDougal Hunt Neighborhood Association. Jennifer, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here as well. And Charity Dean is the CEO and president of the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance. Uh, Charity, it's always great to see you. Welcome back to the studio. Thank you, Stephen. Happy to be here. So I want to start with uh, a minor correction. Uh, We have been talking about uh, our guests here being members of the Community Advisory Committee for the I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project. That is true of Damian Perry and of Jennifer Pasha. It is not true of my friend Charity Dean, who who is the CEO of the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance. Um, But let's start there, Charity. You were invited to be part of this advisory committee, and you're not. Tell Tell me why. So from our perspective at the Black Business Alliance, we wanted to really have an honest conversation with the folks that are making decisions about what's going to happen. And we wanted to come from a place of... kind of equal footing, if you will. We wanted to be able to sit down and say, um, we've got members whose family members were on Hastings Street. And we uh, have a perception, and we talked about this earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talked about it at the Detroit Policy Conference, that there needs to be kind of an attitude of repair 
Um, and in order to have that um, take place, we wanted to have a different conversation than just to be invited to pre-planned meetings with pre-planned agendas. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that. There's a great value there. Um, but before we can do that, we wanted to have some real conversation about what we think repair could look like in the neighborhood. And tell me how successful that has been the effort to have that conversation <laughs> so far. I'm, I'm going to get you in a little trouble Good here. morning, right. Steven. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. So um, that's my answer. Uh, waiting on whom? Um, so we have, let me, let me take it a, a step back. We did get recently a, a, an invitation to a different conversation um, from a, I think a consulting firm, I don't know the name. And mm -hmm. so we're scheduling that meeting now. But I should say last year uh, in December, mm -hmm. I think I had the conversation with our friends at the state to say, hey, uh, I want to be a part of this conversation, but I want to be a part of it in a way that really honors what we think should be happening here, given the history of black people in the city, the history of what's happened in that neighborhood and um so that's that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to come back to you okay. and talk more about uh, what that word in your mind would mean in yep. this process, reparations or reparative, what would repair, what got broken there. But I do want to get to, uh, the, yep. our other guests involved in the conversation as well. Uh, Damian Perry, you're the principal of uh, MLK High School. Yep. King High, is, uh, as I grew up in that area and, and, and always knew it, it is uh, one of the premier public high schools in, uh, in our city. Um, but it's an important part of the history of Definitely. that area. Uh, talk about the role that King plays now. Uh, talk about the role that King has played historically uh, in that area. So when you think about the history of uh, MLK, it really goes back past 1968. Mm -hmm. uh, it really started in 1900 at Eastern High School, uh, the Eastern Indian. So as you talk about uh, the investment that that uh, and our alumni population really plays into that. That's huge. Um, you know, uh, Eastern was in the midst really of that black bottom of that Paradise uh, Valley um, and really saw the before and after effects of it. Uh, so, you know, for me being principal as well as an alumnus of King High School, um, really ensuring that there is a uh, nod, if you will, to the historical relevance of that and really helping uh, our students understand uh, and, and hoping the project allows an education of our students uh, of the importance of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked earlier, Charity and I, as far as a pitch competition we had at King last year okay. uh, for our CISC pathway, uh, which is our business pathway um, led by uh, Miss Spain, our, our business teacher. But connecting ideas like that, since we know that that Paradise Valley uh, area held over 300 uh, African-American businesses, and you really have not seen that concentration of businesses uh, in this city since then. I think, you know, what, what's going on on Livernoy is a phenomenal project. But I mean, you know, it doubled the size, you know, of a Livernoy and to your point earlier, a smaller geographic area. Mm -hmm. So why not be able to have some educational programs, some pitch competitions, be able 
to, you know, um, have some historical pieces, have some of those mobile, you know, trucks and vans and that type of thing uh, actually go out to the schools. You have Ralph Bunch in that area. You have Chrysler Elementary, where I'm a graduate of as well, Mm -hmm. uh, right in that concentrated area. You have DOS Charter School right in that area that you actually begin to have a piece of you – demonstrating the history, having some competitions, um, getting those young entrepreneurs. I think that would just be a phenomenal idea to have a pitch competition that's really elementary through high school and be able to have a focus on entrepreneurship. And while you're having that focus, allow our students to be able to uh, learn the history of that area. Um, Why not be able to have, you know, uh, a historical representation uh, for uh, persons uh, that are living currently that knew and experienced and lived in Black Bottom um, as well as Paradise Valley during that time period. So they really understand that, you know, this is not this project, uh, even though it may not be directly connected, we're going to acknowledge the hurt of the past. So I think all of those things are important. So those are Critical questions, and I think critical to to the to the process of deciding what happens here. Uh, do you feel like those questions are being considered uh, by the, the 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 people who are making decisions? And as a member of the advisory council or committee, do you feel like uh, you've even been given the opportunity to get answers? To those questions, I do think that there has been uh, a place at the table to be able to voice uh, those concerns. I do believe that, but I do believe, to Charity's point, more can be done. Uh, so I do think that you know the ability to be able to voice those pieces, and I also think what your previous guest said, as far as really understanding that the project really is a roadway project, um, uh, but incorporating within the green space. Uh, that's going to be there. Um, the some of the ideas that we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, figuring out very specifically, um, you know, are there uh, black owners in that area and tying them in, construction organizations and tying those uh, persons and entities in. I think all of those things are important, uh, but I do think there has been space to have the dialogue, but yeah. we can always go deeper. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a, there, there's a difference between uh, listening and giving people an opportunity to talk about what they want to do and incorporating what they say into the plans. Definitely. Right? There's, there's often a gap. But Jennifer Pasha, I want to have you talk about uh, the, the neighborhoods that you that you represent and and what role you feel they have played in this process so far. Well, our organization and the uh, community group that I am the vice president of in operations with Bailey Park, uh, we are in the McDougal Hunt area, which is historically, it is the Paradise Valley Black Bottom community. Mm -hmm. Um, This community has been disinvested over the last several, several decades. My entire lifetime. Almost practically all of mine. Yes. Um, But now, because of organizations such as ours, and we're on that playing field now. And so now a lot of attention is going back into it. And that was because of the due diligence of what we do and what we are doing with our programs, uh, such as our hot meals. We have a lot of seniors. It's an area where, you know, you've got middle, you've got like lower class or, or of, you like the, the lower income, not mm-hmm. lower class. No one's that. 
um, lower income families, but you've got folks that are there that are seniors that have been there all of their lives and who knew that one day this was going to come back around. And then when the opportunity came up for a couple of us, and I have been actively involved with this uh, project, going to the meetings, and one of the first things we talked about, um, and that because it affects me personally, my cousin decades ago when 75 came through had a had a dress shop, and they wow. were told within a couple of weeks, you got to go. Wow. So she's in cars trying to distribute. So you had no choice. And of course, they're gone on to glory because they were over. They would be over a hundred now. But the, one of the first things we said in our meeting was, we need to give recognition. This is a reparation. One thing we're going to stick to is some kind of acknowledgement. I don't know if it's a if it's a stand with where these people were or some kind of way to get you see to get them to be recognized for what happened to them. So I'm very happy for that. One thing I'm happy for, because I, as I said, our community has been disinvested, is that this new project will open a roadway for our community. We will be like an entrance and it will give mm-hmm. us um, more sustainability. It will also give us more. Um, we will have more. Um, we'll be more renowned. And we're doing a lot in that community to rebuild, to rebuild homes. We want um, all types of, um, you know, uh, persons who are coming into this city of all type levels, from upper class to whatever, and and to migrate into our community so that we can build it out uh, so that our families and, and, and a big thing of that is to knowing the history. And that's mm-hmm. what I think in Detroit we haven't done a lot. Yeah. Uh, our families, just like Alex Haley did with Roots, mm-hmm. they pass it down through the word. Mm-hmm. And that's why I knew about my cousin mm-hmm. and and have the newspaper clippings that are practically yellow and all mm-hmm. of that because it's important to know the history. And history is not just through communi- looking at your phones. and commun- You've got to do a verbal. You've got to show them where these places used to be. Mm-hmm. So we want it to be a milestone and that's why in these meetings we keep bringing up to them with this organism with for this project we do not want to lose with all the newness and all of his glory we need to the people that were the bridge that we stepped upon so that we can make it to where we are we need to recognize them and say it is because of their is because of their sacrifice that we are here now and i think it's very important and that's why organizations like us we are very involved with what's going on in the city and we are going to make our community, the most enviable of our city. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take another quick break and we come back. We'll continue this conversation mm-hmm. with Damian Perry, Jennifer Pasha, and Charity Dean. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today, and we're talking with three of the stakeholders in the area around the I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project. Damian Perry is the principal of Martin Luther King High School. Uh, Charity Dean is the CEO and president of the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance. And Jennifer Pasha is the operations manager for Bailey Park Neighborhood Development Corporation and vice president on board on the board of the McDougal Hunt Neighborhood. Association, uh, Pasha and 
Perry are members of the Community Advisory Committee for the I-375 Reconnecting Communities Project. Uh, Charity Dean was invited to be part of that and and declined to join. Um, uh, Charity, I'm going to come back to you and and have you talk, <laughs> not this time about why you didn't join the committee, you did that. Now we're going to talk about what you envision. I mean, I mean, you're somebody who is advocating for black businesses all across the city. Uh, I, I want to have you talk about this area and what you imagine could be done for black businesses with this project and, and again, in the context of what it was, how important it was to black businesses when it was Paradise Valley. Yeah, so our mission at the Black Business Alliance is to help close the racial wealth gap. We have a racial wealth gap, so black families and white families, same education, same income, a black family is going to have nine times less the wealth. So we have to know that when we're thinking about how we deal with some of these issues. And then we look at what happened in Black Bottom. Here is a tangible example of how you widen that wealth gap. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to have solutions, we have to be thinking about how do we close that wealth gap. So I could imagine that um, a process is in this area includes history, research, and data, right? Mm-hmm. Who was here first? Who was here before? And how do and are they are they still here? Mm-hmm. How do we make them whole? How do we make them half, right? How do we do something to actually repair? Um, but there are all sorts of creative things that could happen in an area, right? You could um, set aside retail space for black-owned businesses, right? You could create a tenant improvement fund so that if black-owned businesses come into these spaces, knowing that the market rate for these spaces is going to be very expensive. It's, it's gonna not going to be like up. it is on Livernoy. It's not going to be like it is in Grandmont, right? So mm-hmm. we could create a tenant improvement fund. And so we say, hey, we want black businesses to be here, but we acknowledge that one there's an access to capital problem oh because we have this wealth gap oh we have this wealth gap because of intentional policies such as what happened here Um, we could create a tenant improvement fund and so that when black businesses come to this space it could offset any improvements that that black businesses need to put into retail spaces um we lost a friend i think about a year and a half ago two years odell tate do you remember Mm -hmm. odell tate i do i do he was an entrepreneur he spent time in the city but he was an entrepreneur his family, his father, his grandfather were all on Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and his son is an entrepreneur today. Mm-hmm. Those stories are still around. And if we're going to like really be intentional about repairing, we would have those folks at the table and say, how can we get you here because of the harm that was done? Yeah. I, I, I said uh, more than a year ago that, that one of the great advantages we have in, in even thinking about this project is that even though it's many years ago, um, yeah. all of the all of the pieces are still around. I mean, if you, we want to find it, we if can. If you want to find them, you can. You can find mm-hmm. the families. You can find the businesses. You can find the institutions yeah. that uh, were destroyed when yeah. this when this happened, and and make them part of the process. That's I mean, exactly the question right. is. I, that, that you know, I keep asking is why have we not done that? Mm. That is not what is happening um, in the MDOT process, and I'm not criticizing MDOT for that. I'm saying MDOT is not the right agency, I think, to yeah. to lead that kind of conversation. Yep. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phone. I want to take a couple of the calls that we have. Let's start with Chanel in the North End. Chanel, welcome to the show. 
Hey there. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and, and thank you, Charity, and your colleagues uh, who are working on this issue very diligently. Stephen, you actually hit right sort of where I was going with my question. Uh, I live on the north end now. Mm-hmm. I'm a former state lawmaker from the west side. But I live on the north end now. My great-grandmother had businesses in um, um, Black Bottom and was a big property owner on the north end. But I'm saying that to say... Um, you know, why, and, and if there is, please let me know what I'm missing. Why hasn't there been conversation about making these families whole? I mean, as you said, uh, any we live in the information age. Any information, any tax records, anything we want to find is available to us. We know that uh, there are families where there are still entrepreneurs, you know, from that seed mm-hmm. that was put in the ground in Black Bottom, you know, how many ever years ago, there are folks that still have those businesses. I know that there is an effort in California beyond that general reparation sort of conversation. There is a community. I want to say that it is um, off of Hollywood. It's it's one of those neighborhoods that we hear about all the time where they're literally tracking families. They're going back to find the people. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And working to give financial compensation or give them, not make them pay, give them land yeah. within this area in an effort to make it right. right. I understand everything we've been said about MDOT and that they're not the right agency, but you know, just in general, I'd, I'd like to ask your guests, do you feel like there's a space for that? Um, and, and who we should be pushing that conversation right. to if it's not MDOT. Chanel, it's a great, it's a great question, yeah. and I, I, I really appreciate uh, the call. Jennifer, I see you nodding your head. <laughs> I think it's spot on. We need, and that's why I mentioned earlier, we need to you know, brush the service. We need to dig deep. We need to hold them accountable. We need to touch base with those families that are still in the communities or look through our research of, of businesses and um, find family members that have been affected by this and, and learn from our mistakes and also to repay. And that's what I was talking about. And that's what I continue in these committee meetings to make sure that they're held accountable, that you're going to make it beautiful and fine and wonderful now. But what about the history of those people that are no longer here to enjoy and, that? And what are you finding is the response? The response has been positive. And being on that committee, I am taking my time, and others are too, so that we can hold you accountable. I'm not just going to say, and you just blow smoke in the air and say, oh, good. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to hold you accountable. And if it takes me, because as we're sitting here, I'm thinking, boy, they they did in the beginning have a a historical, uh, a historian was there. But we need a historian that actually live and walk to walk and talk to talk, not just going through some books. And, And like, for example, where, you know, my family, and others of us that live in that community because we have enough that are there and we need to reward these people that are still there. They stayed and they knew one day something's going to happen. So that's a great question. I will personally hold them accountable because I'm not wasting my time being on that committee for nothing and whomever I have to go to the Brussels service or any of us, we're going to do that. So hopefully... That will, yeah. you know, I agree with the caller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm going to take another call here. Alberta on the east side. Alberta, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much. Thank I want you. to. <laughs> we all know who this is. <laughs> area. Back alive, kid. Uh-huh. My mentor. For the listeners, this is Alberta Tinsley Talabi, a Ooh, former I member of the mm-hmm. state legislature yes. here, of course, uh, and, a, and a lifelong East Sider. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Alberta, go ahead. 
hundred million dollars? Give me a break. It would make much more sense to divide $25,000 into $600 million and help residents restore their current homes. Hello? Hmm. Have we elected the city council? Where are they on this? In the words of the late councilwoman and Pastor Joanne Watson, Wake up, Detroit! <laughs> Alberta, really appreciate, of course, always your contribution here. Uh, and again, I mean, there there is this question about uh, about leadership in yeah. Detroit mm-hmm. and in Lansing, yeah. and yeah. how mm-hmm. how we get to the point where they're stepping forward to make these points and be sure that the process includes uh, includes these voices. Um, uh, Alberta, as always, really appreciate. Uh, the call and and the comments. Uh, I want to go next to Dennis in St. Clair Shores. Dennis, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I think that the city of Detroit has a very unique opportunity at the present time to recreate Black Bottom in Paradise Valley using the existing expressway sections as it is lower than the regular uh buildings around it and using the idea of san antonio's river walk except we have a road and uh Mm -hmm. new orleans architecture in uh their unique architecture that they have so we would have a single lane from jefferson which would have a sign saying black bottom and at the end of the Hmm. street it would turn around and it would have Paradise Valley coming down <laughs> instead of filling in the whole thing and spending millions, tens of millions of dollars, that, yeah. keep yeah, it sub-level, cut out the green soil, yeah. that's the embankments. Dennis, that's a great, it's a great idea. And, and I mean, I'm not sure it's the idea that, that would, would win out, but I mean, I think Again, the imagination that we could be applying to this in terms of ways to restore what got taken away, um, you know, there's no limit to that. And and we have been limited by, by the process. Uh, Damien Perry, I want to have you talk just a little more about what you think, uh, from an educational standpoint, the, the reparative process might look like here. Uh, like as you point out, we have schools in in that in that area now, and, and most of them, as far as I'm concerned, are pretty pretty good schools. Uh, but but you still have this question of what was there before, and and getting back what we lost. Uh, go ahead and, and talk about what that would look like. Sure, I, I think um, specifically um, with. Um, a truly innovative superintendent is, is Dr. VD, uh, Detroit Public Schools Community District. I believe that it could really start with an educational introduction um, with our students. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, our curriculum K through 12 uh, really calls for a social studies component at every single grade level. So um, why not take some time to be able to uh, introduce a curriculum very specifically that really delves into uh, Detroit history and specifically African-American uh, Detroit history for our students. I think it starts there yeah. um, because I also don't think one of the things I've had the pleasure of being the principal of Mumford High School as well as Southeastern High School, both schools rich 
histories. Uh, Mumford uh, and Southeastern, black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but why not have a curriculum that really exposes our students to the richness of our history? Um, so often our kids really feel, our students, not to be disrespectful, uh, really feel disconnected from that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, at Southeastern, uh, speaking of Alberta Tinsley Talabi, uh, they didn't know the rich history. Southeastern is over 100 years old. They didn't know that their doctors, lawyers, uh, mayors, city council persons, they were jungleers coming out of mm-hmm. Southeastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Mumford, they didn't understand uh, the uh, change from a Jewish community to that of African-American community. And now you have, um, you know, great families, um, you know, coming out of those schools. Um, same thing with King. You yeah. know, our students really don't understand the connection uh, really between Eastern, Eastern and King and, King, sure. and, and really mm-hmm. the history of uh, the Martin Luther King being changed from Eastern. I'm sorry, Eastern being changed uh, to Martin Luther King because they wanted to honor Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. They right. wanted to honor yeah. his contribution in our community. They wanted to honor you know, all of the great things and the whole name Crusaders, they wanted to be Crusaders yeah. for justice. For justice, that's right. Crusaders yeah, for that. equality. Yeah. Our mm-hmm. students really yes. don't know that. Yeah. So why not have curriculum? Why not start there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're really yes. sort of uh, touches on that. Yeah. The other piece, I say this all the time, my parents did a great job uh, in pouring into me. My mom was a teacher, uh, retired after... 36 years. Yeah. My dad was at General Motors Pole Town. Um, so I'll yeah. come back yeah. and, and yeah. we can go in into yeah. that. Uh, Damien Perry, Jennifer Pasha, and Charity Dean, this was wonderful to have you guys here <laughs> talking about this process and your role in it. Thanks so much for joining Thank you. us. Thank you Thank for you. having us. Yeah. Okay. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week with more programming on Detroit Today. This is 1019 WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. You like this show. You get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relative, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.